Hey friends, it's Emily. I just wanted to give a quick content note before you started this episode. We are talking about our experiences in the church. And while we are talking about those experiences, we do touch on the topics of consent and rape culture as it applies to our experiences within the church. So if that's something you need to pass on for this week as well as next week since it is a two-parter episode, no worries. We want you to take care of yourself. We always have old episodes that you can go back to and revisit on Spotify and iTunes. Just take care of yourself. We love you and we hope to see you in a couple weeks if necessary. Welcome to Two, Two Queers, Queers Walk, Walk Into a, a church. church. Today we are talking to Ashley Lewis, which is weird for me to say because I always just like in my brain say Ashley Lima. Well, and it so well, so Ashley. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. Yes. <laughs> we are talking. <laughs> we are talking to Ashley Lewis today about growing up in the church and how that has impacted our life. I happen to know Ashley from way back when, when I was a small child, and Dom has just met them today. Yes, today. So, without further ado, hello Dom. Hey, Tell us about up? it, sir. Um, so my name's Dom. I run a few different advisory councils for a nonprofit organization called Stand With Trans, and then I'll also be working at the Student Advocacy Center for Detroit Public Schools starting in January. That's me. Hell yeah. And I am Emily. I am a behavioral therapist. I also do art therapy within my job. And I am an apprentice at a tattoo shop. So cool. Yeah. So great. I like to think it is. And you are? I'm Ashley Lewis. And I'm a stay-at-home mama for children. That's what I do. Yes. She's super dope. The first time I ever met Ashley was when I was in Pioneer Girls, Ooh. which is the Christian version of Girl Scouts, essentially. Kind of like Awana, if that's something your church did. Basically, you're just, you learn stuff about Jesus and about being a little goyle. You get badges. You have a sash. It's real. It's, it's real cute, honestly. <laughs> and then... You you worked with, because my mom was like a teacher in one of them, and then you worked with her. Yeah. Yep. And then you babysat me, which is a weird fucking thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was still involved with that church, like doing VBS and other stuff. So I kept in contact with Ashley along those years because I honestly just thought you were like just super dope and I wanted to be you when I grew up. So... <laughs> And just an all-around awesome person, in my personal opinion. And I got to reconnect with you somewhat recently, a little bit back. And it's just really awesome to talk about things that queers and people on the LGBTQ spectrum go through in the church and realizing that people who might be straight-ish also deal with that. And like just growing up, socialized as female within the church and learning about different pressures that maybe you don't necessarily understand or even are aware that is happening and all these pressures and then you go into the rest of your life and you're like oh man that like really fucked me up you feel so yeah that's basically it we're just you know having a chat about how the church fucked us up (laughs) (laughs) the title of this is how the church fucked us up (laughs) It's fine. So I guess I I, I kind of want to start with, and we'll just kind of like hand you the mic and you can just go however, but I do it. Pretty much verbal vomit. Love it. Absolutely. So, but can you start kind of with like what your experience was in the church? Like how were you raised? What was your fi- family dynamic like? What kind of church did you go to? Like that kind of thing. If you could start with that. 
So that'd be sweet. So I come from a long line of Christian people. <laughs> when I was really little, I went to a small Baptist church in Highland, Michigan, which is a pretty small little community in and of itself. And it felt like, at least as a kid, that half the congregants were related to me. They weren't necessarily my direct aunts and cousins, but they were like my second you know, cousin and my great aunt. And it was a lot of family and everybody knew everybody's business in this small little Baptist church. When I was 10, my parents decided that the small hometown church vibe was not for them. So we went to a large church in the suburbs. And I stayed there basically until I got married. And then me and my husband moved to Detroit. And then we were like such amazing, wonderful, like mission-minded Christians that we were like, oh, this life in the suburbs is so not for us. We're going to move to the city and just like love people for Jesus and just like show them Christ. And we're just going to like be a part of, you know, just bringing the city into Jesus's kingdom and all of that fun stuff. And so we went to um, an Assemblies of God church, actually, that everyone who was there was basically from the suburbs. <laughs> and drove into the city. We foolishly bought a house in the city. We we're like, wait, I thought I thought you had to like be in the city to do ministry in the city. But no, apparently you can live in the suburbs and do it that way as well. And then when that kind of fell apart for us because we are not charismatic at all, we went to a house church for a few years and that was just a disaster of leadership and then we found ourselves back at the mega church in the suburbs because it's comfortable and easy until recently where we've officially kind of stepped away from church at least for the time being okay cool so as you kind of establish your own belief systems how did you like how did you navigate that like how did you come to the conclusions that you came to mm. and even like what might some of those things be like mm. some of the conclusions you came to Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like I'm such a good millennial in the fact that I'm doing a faith deconstruction because from what I gather from other millennials I either interact with online or in real life, it seems like this is a common thing for a lot of us to have gone through. But my process really started probably when we were at the Assemblies of God Church. And there were a lot of Theological differences between what how the church functioned and what me and my husband kind of believed. And as those became more and more tense between us, I sought out the pastor's wife to kind of air some of my grievances. Like I was running the nursery at the time, so we were like deeply involved. I think for us, we needed to kind of reevaluate a lot of what we believed. And for me, a lot of it had to do with the fact that like, I had two kids at the time who were both very little. They're 18 months apart, so they were like under the age of two. And I'm involved with this like women's group that would meet on Friday mornings. And it was listening to everybody else talk about what it meant to be a mom and what it meant to be a wife. And I would come away with just feeling like, but this can't be right. <laughs> like, this can't be it, right? <laughs> but it seemed like that was. That was the expectation for what it meant to be a wife and a mother. And it was so confusing to me because uh, Assemblies of God are egalitarian in ministry, which means men and women can both lead in, in ministry. They can lead churches. They can preach from the pulpit which I thought would translate into marriage for them to be egalitarian as well. But these marriages were so deeply complementarian, which is like the man has a role and the wife has a role. And even though like I came from a Presbyterian background, that is complementarian. Women cannot be pastors. They can be elders possibly, occasionally teach, but not with the role of pastor. And so it made sense for marriages to be complementarian in that way in that area but it was so confusing to have like women can lead a church but then once they're married they have to submit everything to their husband and I think that was the first fissure in recognizing that the structures I had built around my faith were not as stable as what I thought they were. So do you have any kind of like intersecting identities like do you feel like you fall anywhere on the spectrum how do you kind of like navigate that at all? Yeah so being raised evangelical and being deeply involved in the evangelical world. I feel like you're not ever really allowed to explore sexuality. And if I'm going to be completely honest, like I think that identifying as a cis straight woman never caused 
conflict for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, falling into that role was never felt um, irregular. But what was like difficult though still within that is the fact that I feel like in evangelical circles when we talk about sexuality as a whole, men are sexual beings mm-hmm. and women are not. Right. And that always felt like this doesn't make sense. Like I definitely have a strong sex drive. I really want to have sex, you know, like, oh man, the amount of like youth group lessons or sermons or speakers who've come in and would talk about purity. It would be like, boys don't look at pornography. Women dress modestly because the boys can't help themselves. And I'd be like, dude, I can't like, I can't help myself. <laughs> I don't know who yeah. to talk to about any of this because like nobody is talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so just having to, I think, even come to terms with sexuality in that, let alone trying to figure out or understand other sexual identities, because that, like, if women being sexual beings in and of themselves is not being discussed by the people who I interact with on a regular basis, thinking about exploring sexuality as a whole is, like, just so off the table. I'm not even allowed to explore the sexuality which my church allows, Mm -hmm. let alone explore, like, healthy sexual expression outside of that. So, yeah, I mean, I think somewhere in the last couple of years, I've been trying to deconstruct concepts of purity that are so deeply ingrained in me and be like, okay, why do I think that it's a sin to think this way? You know, sort of a thing. Or what if I allowed myself to read that website or explore erotic fiction or something like that, you know, which has always felt like so taboo. That's a sin. You're not allowed to do that. You know, if you uh, allow just like a little crack of immorality into your life, then Satan's going to have a foothold and just, you know, your whole life's going to go to hell. So even just like starting to explore that avenue is a woman in her 30s feels like should have done this a long time ago. I just felt like I wasn't allowed to. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's something that Emily and I have talked a lot about too. Kind of like we didn't know how to navigate the whole sexuality aspect and gender aspect of things because for so long you're taught that you are not allowed to do those things. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of like write it off and you're yeah. just like, well, it's supposed to be this way. So this is what I'm going to do. And even when you do, so I came out really young. I was like 12 when I came out and like, and I grew up in like a fire and brimstone Baptist church. So it was like <laughs> my, initially my family was kind of like, they've always been really loving, very accepting. It wasn't celebrated at first for sure. My mom was like, I think you're too young to know what that means. So once everybody kind of came to terms with the fact that that's who I was, that's how I identified. Then I had that like huge internal struggle trying to figure out what, like, how did I deconstruct all those other things? So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm gay. Cool. But now like, do I believe in sex before marriage? Mm. Do I, you know, like certain types of sex acts, like I've been taught that these are morally wrong. So there was like all these other facets that I had never really dived into because I was so absorbed with my sexuality that once I conquered that, I realized, dude, there's so much other shit mm-hmm. that I never even got to figure out yeah. because I was so worried about this one thing. Mm. So now that you're kind of like, you know, you've kind of established what your beliefs are and things of that sort. How do you think you'll go about using that information now that you're a mom? Mm. Like, (laughs) what's that look like for you? (laughs) Well, there's so many layers to all of this stuff about the church. And I've been a mom for eight years, and I've been deconstructing my faith for five and it, within those five years, it's been like a long drawn out process because I never do things easily. Like I feel like the this, like structure was crumbling around me and I was like, no, it's fine. Like, sure, I don't have windows anymore, but that's okay. Like, I don't need windows. I'll be fine without windows. Whereas my husband was like, this is garbage. We need to like find something else. It's like, no, we don't. We can make it work. It's fine. <laughs> we can make this work for us. <laughs> yeah. So even though it's been five years, I still I feel like I am constantly refiguring things out. And it'll like pop up in weird places where I'll say something to someone and be like, do I actually believe that? Or is that just like so ingrained in me to think that way? So and then even still, so five, like five years ago, I'm starting the deconstructive process. But 
everything is functioning inside like evangelical orthodoxy still, you know, like I'm not, there are some things I'm willing to question and push back and where's the boundary and how far can I take this? But I felt like the like hard lines existed inside evangelical orthodoxy. And it hasn't been until maybe the last year where I'm like, no, there's a lot more outside of evangelical orthodoxy. Now, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And when that kind of hit for me, we started to pull back with our kids being involved in it as a whole. So I think we pulled them out of church a little under a year ago because one, the church we were going to, though it's a good church and they are very loving of people, they do have in their like what they believe is like homosexuality is not a sin, but like the act of it is a sin. Like we would never marry people who are part of the queer spectrum. And so like I have four kids and I have no idea where they're going to land on the spectrum, whether they'll be straight, queer, bi, gender queer, who knows? Like who knows where they're going to land? And I don't want them to be involved in a community that could potentially reject them at some point. So we pulled them out for that sake. And just because of all the like a lot of the gendered just garbage that gets like heaped on you, especially as a girl. So I have three daughters and it was like, well, I really don't want them growing up with that same like hyper gendered focused expression of what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a, a girl, what it means to be faithful, what it means to be a Christian. But that's so specified to like their femininity. I just I didn't want to do that to them either. So so for right now as a mom. In a way, I kind of feel like I want to shelter and protect them from some of this stuff. Not from God. Like, we have little, like, Bibles around the house for the kids. And, like, my son is deeply interested in faith conversations. And we have those on a regular basis. But the conversations are definitely very different from the ones that I had growing up. And they've gotten me in trouble with my mother-in-law a few times. <laughs> but do you have, like, hopes and dreams for... What kind of faith community you wish existed? Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> because I feel like the three of us mm -hmm. could make this happen. Yes. Oh, my gosh. This is something that I have been thinking about for years. So I left my mega church, evangelical mega church of the suburbs, right? I've been checking out some other churches. So I'm not queer myself or I'm still trying to figure out things but like so I don't want to go to a queer church but I definitely want to go to like an open and affirming church sure. so I've tried like three different churches in the area and they're okay you know but it's like so it's just incredibly different from everything I've been used yes. to even one I would say most open and affirming churches are mainline protestant churches mm -hmm. and mainline protestant churches are aged a lot. Yes. Whereas, like, I think of evangelicalism as starting to be kind of more of a boomer mm -hmm. um, generation for, like, churchgoers. Mm -hmm. Like, mainline Protestantism is, like, older boomers. Yes. And even older than boomers, yes, you know? Sure. And so, not that I mind that, per se, because I think that there's could be some generational healing in getting involved in a community of people who are of that age, but are a part of an open and affirming and accepting and social justice-oriented church. But it still doesn't feel like a place where you're going to find community, right. you know, like um, you have maybe uh, like one church told me like we do have a kids ministry, but there are about four or five kids who come on a regular basis. And I was like, well, I would double your numbers. Right, <laughs> you right, know? Right. So it's like I think growing up evangelical, I'm so conditioned to long for community mm -hmm. and not just like people who I get along with, but people who are in similar stages of life or who are going through similar things, like spaces where I feel like I can, can like talk about what's happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, because it was a space like that that helped me figure out, wow, I don't think I, I believe what the church teaches about womanhood, right, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So like that seems really important to me. And I just feel like so far I haven't been able to find anything like that. Yeah. I don't know if I answered your question. No, 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 that's, <laughs> that's, that's perfect. Yeah. And I, I feel like, we both relate to that a lot. Like we met at a like young adult ministry, mm -hmm. which, and that was probably the closest thing I had ever been to like more, I don't know, modern, I guess, because progressive. Yeah. More progressive. And they weren't. Yeah. Progressive. <laughs> like, like they weren't, they absolutely weren't progressive. I was like the, uh, one of the only queer people there at the time. You were the token um, gay. I was the token gay for sure. And it, like, started this uproar in the church. Like, yeah. people literally lost their shit because I hosted the open mic. Mm. And, like, people in the congregation were like, 
we're going to stop paying our tithes yeah. if you let Dom host the open mic ever again. Mm. And at the time, like, the pastor was super great. And he was like, okay, like, stop paying your tithes then. You can deal with that with God. <laughs> like, because he was awesome. But then eventually... And gay, and eventually gay. <laughs> really? But, yes. Oh my but gosh. he ended up getting pushed out of the church yeah. because the, right. the elders, the people that were on the board, they were like, look, dude, like, you're not withholding our values. Mm-hmm. So you either need to, like, make these things happen or, like, you shouldn't be our pastor anymore. And yeah. so he was like, okay, I'm not going to be your pastor anymore then. And nobody really expected him to do that. Mm. But the yeah. best part was, like, once he did that, then... Of course, then you have the other people who are like, he's abandoning us. Yeah. He's running away when mm. he did something wrong. And it's just like, I think he was like a really well-spoken person. Mm. And he had feeling and he had like emotions and he had empathy. What? Yeah. What? A pastor, <laughs> An em- a pastor with just empathy for people who aren't just white and straight and male. It's <laughs> <laughs> unheard of. Yep. Yeah, right. And so it was just, it was incredible. And he was really instrumental in getting that youth group like in a fir- not necessarily getting it started but like affirming it and like you said Dom like it's it wasn't progressive but no. they thought they were they thought they, they thought were, they were yeah. hella progressive I played yes. like you know Hillsong All right. so anyone that plays Hillsong <laughs> is obviously progressive right so we're like the cool kids we're not like those old stuffy yes, church people we yes. have drums in our service yeah <laughs> so it was just like that was just the closest thing to progressive I had ever experienced at that point. And I had visited like some open and affirming churches, but I visited mostly queer focused mm. open and affirming churches, which wasn't even really my goal, to be honest. It was just kind of where I started. Mm-hmm. And my experience was just, it's, it's really old people. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, older people who are, you know, have been ostracized. And so they've created their own faith communities, but they hold those, other traditional values, like aside from queerness, a lot of their other values are not that much different from what I mm. experienced growing up. There are still a lot of, you know, pushiness on marriage and in sex before marriage, even, mm-hmm. and, you know, all these conversations. But there was also almost like too much of a focus on sexuality for me. Mm. I really, I loved how comfortable it was, mm-hmm. but I hated how how it was like the center of the conversation. So the very first time I ever went to a queer church, they were like, it was very like, it was almost like too sexual for me, which is weird. because <laughs> like, I'm totally comfortable with all things sexual, but like there was like a drag performance during the service, hmm. which was like cool to see. I was like, okay, this is cool. But it had like a sexual like innuendo behind hmm. it. It was like a cleaning maid. And there was like, at one point you could like see up her skirt and like, and I was like, okay, like, I feel like we're drifting away. Yeah. <laughs> we're slowly drifting. <laughs> and I loved that they incorporated this like queer culture. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, okay, what are, what are we here for? Right. Exactly. Are we, are we all here for the same thing? Cause mm. I don't, I don't know that we are. Hmm. Yeah. And then there was just a lot of focus on marriage. Like, when these people, these like older couples took communion together and then they would kiss afterwards. And I was like, hmm, hold on. (laughs) You just drank the blood of Christ (laughs) and then kissed your boyfriend. I I don't get it. Like, good for you, I guess. Like you're worshiping together or whatever, but also I, I don't know, like, I don't feel sexual in those moments, right. typically. So. Right. I mean, I feel like growing up evangelical, there is a lot of talk, like, when we talk about sexuality, where, like, but Jesus is the third member of your marriage, you know, and just stuff like that, yeah. that we yeah. actually, um at the church I just left, they had a, they brought in somebody to talk about, like, sexuality in a very conservative way. Some 70-year-old white man. I was like, who thought that was a good idea? Like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. But he actually talked about, like, bringing Jesus into your marriage bed. And um, my friend who was telling Back. me this. Oh, I know, so no. uncomfortable, oh, right? Oh, like, no. stop, stop. And I, like, people who talk about sex as an act of worship, I'm like, I can see... I don't know. Like, that's just too much for me sometimes. Like, I can't. Those two things don't mix for me no. at this point in my life. Maybe yeah. at some point. But, like, 
I don't want Jesus in my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Like, the first time I ever heard about, like, the fact that sex was a worship, and I was like, well, hell yeah, let me worship right now. Like, <laughs> like I was like. We're talking both ears. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. yes. But, but, like, I remember hearing that, and I was just like, so, which which one of you fellas want to worship tonight? Like, like. It was just, it was, it's just, but, I understand where they're coming from, but it's almost like, it's like the youth pastor that, that says, you know, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins is just like, like, you know, everyone just thought it was a weird flex. And I was just like, uh, what? I was like, please. Oh, pastors are the worst. I was like, <laughs> like, and the best part was like, it was like a meme and the, the, the thing was. <laughs> desperate youth pastor voice and I was like I know exactly what that is I I know exactly what that sounds like I can picture it in my mind like it's just like oh my god like <laughs> like you try and be so relatable to the point where you just absolutely alienated everyone yes. except for like I don't know the parents they're like, yeah, use well, the, the internet are, words. The kids who are so brainwashed into thinking this way that no matter what comes out of the mouth of the youth pastor or the pastor, they're going to be like, yes, yes, that's so good. Yeah. Yes, that's a good word from God. I feel that. I feel that. You know, like. That's a good word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. I remember oh, I, I, I went to this church one time, and it was like a mega church, and there was this, and I only went because my ex-girlfriend's brother was like actively going mm -hmm. there and he was like i really want you guys to come like i think you'll love it and i was like mm, i don't know probably not because usually i don't love mm -hmm. it but i went anyway and that night they did a like sermon on sex mm -hmm. of course and i was like <laughs> i'm ready for you <laughs> i'm unimpressed and ready and he the whole time made jokes about like having sex with his wife mm. that was like supposed to like yes. hook us all in and i was like you're disgusting bro yes. like first of all you're not funny secondly your poor wife she's in the back right? like humiliated they're usually degrading jokes too. so degrading. like they, they're objectifying their wives yes. like oh yes. my wife's so hot like yeah Ugh. stuff like that Ugh. he was saying like really gross things about like he was talking about his wedding night, and he's like, yeah, my wedding night, I, like, walked over to her dad, pat him on the back, and I was like, thanks a lot, buddy, see you later, Ew! and, like, and everybody was, like, laughing, and I was like, that's so gross, my dad would punch you in the face, dude, like, <laughs> yeah. he would be like, boom, don't talk about my kid like that, Yeah. and it was just, like, so weird, and then he made everybody um go to each side of the room he was like okay men are gonna go on this side women are gonna go on this side and we're gonna have like group discussion about our experiences with sex and i was like no i'm not doing that, that. first of all i'm not gonna sit with women a bunch of straight women and talk about sex and i'm not gonna go sit with a bunch of dudes i think it's okay to like objectify these women that they're you know married to or not married to mm -hmm. so i literally i literally sat in the center of the room and <laughs> i was with my girlfriend at the time and i was like you can go over there if you want to and she was like i'm not gonna sit with a bunch of straight women and talk about sex either <laughs> like i don't know what to do so the whole experience was just like so awful just yeah. such an awful experience so much of what happens inside churches i feel like is a force of community yeah. like we see in the in the new testament especially in the in um, the acts of the apostles this deep community that existed around these people and it just does not exist in our culture and our communities. And so the churches are forcing it. And I just feel like forced community is such a horrible idea. And like forced vulnerability is such a horrible idea. Like why would you ever encourage somebody to go talk about something as intimate as sex with a bunch of strangers? Mm -hmm. Like who thinks that's an okay thing to do? Church people. Yeah. Church that's who people. thinks it is. Because if I can make you talk about something vulnerable and intimate, then you will make a community with these people. <laughs> and then if you're in the community, you won't leave. Right. You know? Like... Uh -huh. yeah. And you'll be bullied into our belief system. Yes. Yes. Because if you don't conform, we're going to threaten you with eternal damnation. Right. So, mm -hmm. And you don't have any friends now. So. <laughs> yes. You're just screwed all around. Yeah. Lovely. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness.
like what we were talking about with youth group about sexuality and all that stuff. I just hated the purity talk. Because mm-hmm. like you had said before, girls, that they're all like, well, girls aren't visual people. And I'm like, but I am. <laughs> like, what What do you mean? Like, I just, I don't have a sex drive. What? I do. And, and just talking about consent within purity talk oh, like, nobody talk no talk of consent there's no talk of consent and it's always like especially with women because they never talk about men who are promiscuous because those are just gay guys mm. <laughs> they can't help themselves yeah they can't help themselves because they're yeah natural urges god created them to be visual and god created them for for sex and all of these <clears> things <throat> they just can't help themselves yeah we just need to like have grace abounding for them yeah I don't know. But, I mean, if a girl shows off her shoulders, God, she's a slut. <laughs> yes. No grace. Which, like, and it just made me, like, just absolutely, like, just frustrated because, like, I would go to these church camps mm-hmm. and I would go be a counselor because that's what you do when you're a Christian yep. teenager and you want to be away from your parents for the summer and you want to find a cute Christian boyfriend who you can be boyfriends for two weeks because that's how long you're together and then <laughs> your love is eternal. <laughs> but then we would, I would be a counselor for these young girls and like these girls were like seven, eight, nine years old and the like the lead counselors would be like okay so make sure you have a conversation with your your campers about like keeping their bra straps in i was like they're nine they are nine years old at the most Mm -hmm. and you're trying to tell me that i have to explain to a nine-year-old that she's a sexual object Yes, yes Like, that's disgusting. Well, and it, like, my kids go to a Christian preschool, mm-hmm. and it's it's at a church, and it's very loosely Christian, but even at that age, it was, like, part of the dress code, which, you have a dress code for preschoolers? Like, yeah. that makes no <laughs> sense. But it was like, oh, if you're sending your daughter to preschool in a skirt, you know, make sure she has shorts or leggings on underneath it, because, you know, boys. That was the exact quote from the head of the preschool. And I'm like, dude, you're sexualizing preschoolers. Yeah. Preschoolers. Like... And it's not just now that you're sexualizing my daughter as an object, you know, for boys to look at, but you're sexualizing these boys. Like, mm-hmm. you're already assuming that they can't help themselves. Yeah. Like, it starts and so young. That. Yeah. That that's, mm-hmm. They can't help themselves, mm-hmm. which is how we get into this conversation around, you know, consent and rape culture and, like, all these things mm-hmm. that we wouldn't dare talk about in church, but we definitely don't even really talk about it, like, other places either but we're absolutely not talking about it in church Mm -hmm. not even a little bit i agree and the thing is like these conversations are so vital for especially teenage girls to have because because of the culture and the way that we've gendered sexuality and that boys can't help themselves and girls don't really want to ever have sex that we are creating an environment that is not safe for anybody because these boys are going to be like oh well she doesn't want it anyway so she's telling me no it's not because she doesn't really want to have it. She's just a girl. She's not ever going to want to have it, right. you know, sort of a thing. And then girls also feel like it, they're, they are, don't have the ability to say no to these boys either. And, and inside Christian circles too is because the only sexual education that these kids get is purity talks, abstinence, 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 and they take purity pledges. No one's talking to them about safety, about consent or any of these things. And statistically, it shows that they're only going to put off having sex 18 months from their non-purity pledging peers, you know? So it's like, they're going to have sex in 18 months. Anyway, we need to make sure they're having safe sex. But because they're Christians and they're not supposed to have sex, usually it's, there is no protection. There is nothing, no safety conversation. There's no conversations about making sure you both feel comfortable or you're having a good time because this has to be an accident. Because if it was meditated and you thought about this ahead of time, then it was like this actively willful sinning against God, you know? So I feel like we're just setting teenagers up for so much failure when it comes to sex and their sexuality. It's, it's heartbreaking and devastating. But yeah, it's, it makes me think too about how it's hard to address, you know, how the church views sexuality because we don't want to address patriarchy mm. in the church mm-hmm. and you can't really address these, you know, sexual oppression when you don't address patriarchy, but if we address patriarchy, then men aren't in control anymore and then the church is going to fucking collapse or something mm-hmm. because god forbid like men not be in charge of things because if women are strong, powerful, you know, people that can make decisions for themselves, then that means that they don't get to 
they could potentially be in charge of how the church functions. Mm -hmm. And if they're allowed to be in charge of how the church functions, then, you know, what happens after that? It's like a trickle effect of, mm -hmm. oh, no, women get to, like, have a say in things. So it's I think that's part of the reason why nobody wants to have that conversation because then yeah. we have to address patriarchy, mm -hmm. which kind of, like, just destroys the foundation of so much of what our society is built on. Yes. And it's not even to just like, oh, no, women are going to have a say in how we run and rule things. But uh, the system that we have set up under patriarchy doesn't allow for men to flourish outside of anything outside of headship. So when we start taking that away from them, they have a complete loss of identity. Ugh, not that I want to stand here and like sympathize with the like <laughs> with the male component of this equation, but it is a big problem that exists. Like the, the conversations around feminism and, and uh, equality for women women, I feel like sometimes though we um, we forget that men also suffer under patriarchy. Like Absolutely. we we need to um, encourage men to be able to stay home and be nourishing or, or to find roles that are more nourishing or to take uh, roles that aren't quite so front and center and stuff like that. But um, so much of like manhood is wrapped up in those ideals as well. So yeah, it's, it's not too, it's not just like we're threatened. We don't want the women here, but it's also because they don't know what to do. When yeah. we invade their spaces. <laughs> yeah, so. absolutely. So do you have any, like, I don't know if advice is the right word, but I guess we'll use advice for sure. today. Yeah. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement, I guess, for people who have this internal conflict mm -hmm. where they're like, okay, I know that this doesn't all line up for me. Mm -hmm. So like, where do you begin? Or, you know, and you can speak from your own personal experience or whatever, how you kind of started doing your soul searching. Mm -hmm. But what, um, I guess, do you have any advice on how people can work through that journey? I think that, I think all people are created so differently and they process information so differently and they experience things so differently. I think that a large portion of the population will never really question how things are going inside their, like, how they're feeling or thinking about things. They're just going to do or say or think or believe what somebody else has already told them to. Mm -hmm. I think it's more natural for, for people who are have, like, a more curious nature, you know, who tend not to be rule followers in the first place to kind of poke back and to notice that there's something that's off. And I feel like if you are sensing that, you're more likely to even start to kind of go against the grain in life in general. I think, though, for people who are like quieter or maybe more likely to fall into the status quo, it's so scary to step out because you're not used to doing it. So I feel like if you've ever had like a season of your life where you're like, but I already nonconformed in some way, you know? So like as a kid, like, yeah, I got my first tattoo when I was 16, you know? So like there was already something to the alternative kind of expression that I was drawn to that was very like anti-establishment and whatnot. Sure. So I feel like stepping away from the faith system that was so ingrained in me was like, I already had that as a part of who I was, you know, mm -hmm. I think for people who are less likely to do that though, that can be really scary because they don't have that already like built into their like framework to do. Mm -hmm. So I think that the best place, honestly, like the internet is one of those things where it's like, it has some really horrible things to it, but it has some really positive things to it. And I think that the internet offers a lot of community for people. Cause I think that the, the most um, important thing, if you're going to, like step out of your um, your faith system or out of your community or outside of uh, the authority structure that's always been in place for you um, is finding people who are doing it too. Because I think that the, the most difficult part of that process, even if you're the type of person who's kind of like, I'm just going to like flip everybody off and be like, fuck you all the time. Like that's, you're okay with going off and being by yourself. But even that person will feel alone, you know, like, and that's hard. But if you're the type of person who's not comfortable doing that, and then you leave this, that system, you know, like that isolating feeling, I feel like is what will do you in and it will push you back into the system you're used to and what you're comfortable with mm -hmm. and will keep you trapped from actually growing. Yeah. 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 I feel like, and Em, you can speak on this as well. I feel like I had that con conflict that you're talking about where I was, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't quite like 
you know, flipping everybody off saying fuck you. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I had a really, like, strong-willed mother that even though she had, like, very traditional values and still does, she also was not the, like, the man's the head of the household mm-hmm. woman because there was no man in our household. Mm-hmm. My dad was, you know, just not present. He's a drug addict. He, you know, she had to essentially divorce him and get rid of him because he was causing trouble for our family so there was no man of the household my mom was the head of the household and my mom handled that shit like Mm -hmm. she took care of the three of us all by herself so I that was one thing I was grateful to never learn I never really learned that I heard it at church but it wasn't practiced in my home so Mm -hmm. it didn't that didn't I don't know I guess it didn't hinder me in that way Mm -hmm. so I but I did have that because she was so strong-willed I I was not afraid to say what I believed, but I did experience that isolation in the sense that I was a queer person in a church Mm -hmm. or I was a queer person in a queer community who believed in God Mm -hmm. and everybody was like, why are you doing that? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like this ideology doesn't believe in you Mm. and doesn't support you. So why are you doing that? And it's been really hard in both of those spaces to navigate explaining my identity like Mm. whether it's my faith identity or my queer identity it's I it's like I always have to even still to this day explain myself Mm -hmm. and I don't hold a lot of the values that I did as a child but I still have faith Mm -hmm. and I still have a belief system of my own and a lot of that is rooted in Christianity but I've kind of deconstructed some of those like harmful ideas that I I don't believe in those things anymore so I guess do you feel like and um, you can talk about this too mm-hmm. have you experienced any of that like isolation feeling mm-hmm. like do you feel like you're kind of like ostracized from the church in some ways or you know like do you have you guys both of you experienced mm-hmm. some of those things well like you were literally just ostracized like when are actually ostracized like, literally just yeah. recently <laughs> let's speak about that yeah, I know yeah she's a rebel and I love it <laughs> so I've volunteered with the youth at my church forever since Emily was a youth yeah when I was one of the youths <laughs> yes, the youths that we were one of the of. small youths yeah. back then and then I took a little bit of a hiatus when we first moved to Detroit but then we ended up going back to that same uh, mega church in the suburbs and I immediately jumped back in with student ministries I love teenagers I just think being a teenager is so so horrible and awkward and painful and just, a, I mean, I, I volunteer with teenagers because I sympathize. I'm like, I'm sorry that this season of your life sucks. Yeah. yeah. It sucks. <laughs> but it will get better. So I jump back in and I start volunteering with students. And I'm not the type of person who does anything just like a little bit. I'm like, if I'm, I'm going to be at every event, I'm leading a small group. I want to teach from the front of the, the room. You know, like I want every kid to know me. I'm going to talk to all of the, I'm going to go on the mission trip with And then while I'm on the mission trip, I'm going to talk about how this is low key white saviorism and like, <laughs> and God is Good. already here working in these communities. Let's not like have like poverty porn happening while we're in this impoverished community. But so finding little ways to kind of like, sub, you know, subvert the normal narratives that they hear and trying to protect them from some of the other more like dangerous ideologies that I feel like come in. And then over the summer, they have all of their volunteers sign this thing. It's the first time I've ever had to sign anything. Going through training and working with children and underage youth, minors, minors, minors. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I was looking for. Working with minors, it's important to have some form of training, especially sure. like safety training and like all of that stuff. And that had been lacking. So I was like, well, I mean, we should be doing that. But it wasn't just like we're going to be going over some of the like standard training of interacting with with minors it was like I agree to only talk about the church's official stance on human sexuality and it was like what yikes I don't agree with that and I'm not going to sign something that I don't agree with because then I'm not going to do the thing and then I'm going to get called out for and then it's a disaster for everybody right so I wasn't at the meeting where they handed the packet out so I'm like texting other volunteers to get the rest of the information and there was a safety packet and in the safety packet even it it specified again as part of what is safe 
on how to interact with students, only affirming and talking about the church's official stance on human sexuality. And that was devastating to me because I'm like, it's one thing if we're talking about like, we want you to do this thing because it's what the church believes. It's another thing if you think that it's dangerous mm -hmm. to talk to students about other like sexuality and other expressions of sexuality or other beliefs around sexuality or other interpretations about sexuality, like putting that in a category where it's now concerning their safety and especially when it's like on the wrong side of their safety was really upsetting. So I, I was like, well, I'm not signing this, but I'm also not going away without a fight. So I meet up with the youth pastor to kind of like tell him like, I'm not going to sign this, but I like, I want to point the kids back to the Bible. Like I have queer kids in my small group and they're not going to, they're really not going to be okay with this stance. I want to explain to them why the church's stance exists, but then I also want to explain to them why other people don't agree with this stance. And I want to point them back to the Bible for that foundation in it because the reality of the situation is they're going to go off to the internet. They're going to find somebody who is going to agree with what they're feeling, and that person may not be rooted in some faith tradition, you know? And I'm like, I think it's really important that you open up that conversation. And I'm not saying that we have to say the church's stance is wrong. I mean, I think it is, but I'm not saying even that I'm going to do that. I just want to have the space to talk to them about this on such a larger scale because the umbrella of Christianity really and truly does make space for all of these things. And it was just kind of a hard line. Like, it's not coming from me. It's coming from higher up. And if like you can't do that, we can't have you volunteer anymore. So that sucked. <laughs> That's awful. Yeah. Wow. The, yeah. And the thing is, I'm like, if I hadn't said anything, I probably could still be volunteering. But because I was like, I need to speak up for this. Mm -hmm. This is not OK. And I came with like all of the facts, you know, like according to the Trevor Project, if uh, you have just one affirming adult, it could uh, lower the attempted suicide rate by 40 percent. Like, do you understand what it could mean to a kid in our ministry just to allow me to be affirming in that space? Like, it doesn't even have to come from you, the youth pastor. Right. I'll be that person, you know. And so, but it was like, nope, if you're not going to sign the thing, you can't volunteer. And now we know that this is how you feel. So, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the ironic thing, though, is one of the staff members who I have a very close relationship with, who kind of fought me on this a little bit when I first made a stink about it. After they brought in this 70-year-old white dude to talk about sexuality, mm -hmm. she got a, like, I don't know if it was a horde, but she got a handful of students coming to her who were really upset because they are somewhere on the queer spectrum. And now she's interacting with these students, like, face-to-face, -face, right. feeling like their pain, hearing their stories. And so she's like, hey, what were those resources <laughs> that yeah. you had? So, I mean, there's a part of me that would like to be optimistic and say hopefully she can create change inside the ministry. But realistically, they're just going to push her out at some point sure. too. So, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that had been my community for at least the last four years. And then I took a four-year break from that, and it had been my community from the age of 10 up until. Okay. And then, like, there's a four-year gap. And then, and now, pff, like, now that's gone. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's hard. And it's, like, my, my husband's family all goes there, you know. So, like, that's hard to explain to them, too, because it's not – so, like, that was a big exposure moment for me where it was, like, I'm no longer hiding how I actually feel. Like, I'm actually standing up for what I really believe. But that is very, like, exposing now that I, like, being a part of a church like that, like a large church, you can kind of hide mm -hmm. in some of those spaces. Like, not exactly. everyone knows that I'm affirming, you know. Like, there's a handful of people who knew that, like, the kids who needed to know that knew it and some of the leaders who needed to know that knew it. But outside of that, most people didn't know. And, like, it feels very cowardly of me now to be like, there was a lot that I was hiding while I was in that space because I wanted to be able, I wanted a place at the table, but because of the influence I felt like I could have in the youth group. Like, sure. I felt like I could have a positive impact on some of these kids 
you know, and I was willing to like tamper some of this down for that sake. But then like when they were like, nope, you're out. I was like, well, then fuck you. I'm going to start an Instagram account. And I'm just going to like say all the things that I'm mad about. Yes. So it's like not just did that expose me, but I took that and just ran with it. And so it's not even like, oh, why don't you go to, you know, this church anymore? It's like, oh, we know why you don't go here anymore. Plug your Insta right now. We'll do it at the end too. Follow my Instagram account. It's Disology, um, D-I-S underscore O-L-O-G-Y. Hey friends, it's Emily again. Sorry for the abrupt stop, but we had a very long, very thought-provoking conversation with Ashley, which I needed to cut into two episodes because I don't know if y'all would want to listen to a two and a half hour episode of us going on and on about the things that have fucked us up by going to church or being in a church community. So this is part one, as I previously mentioned in the beginning. We will have part two next week. As I stated in the beginning of this podcast, there are content warnings, which will carry over into the next episode. We will add an additional content note for abuse, specifically domestic abuse. So if that's something you need to pass on, no worries. We want you to take care of yourself. While you're waiting for that podcast to come out, you can always follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are Two Queers Podcast on both platforms, but Instagram is TWO Queers Podcast and Twitter is the number two Queers Podcast. You can find Dom on pretty much any of their social medias at hi underscore I'm Dom and you can find me at Emily Craig Art and Craig is spelled K-R-I-E-G. You can also find Ashley as she previously mentioned at Disology. Hers is D-I-S underscore O-L-O-G-Y. Thanks for listening guys. We hope to see you in the next one. Bye. Jingle Jangles brought to you by Sirius the Kitten. <laughs> oh, Sirius the Kitten. Can I take yes. a picture of you, Sirius the Kitten? Sirius the Kitten? You're going to be our, like, uh, promo photo. Sirius, let's see your little cute face. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>